You are listening to Bible Direction for Life, the sermon podcast of Westside Baptist Church in Bremerton, Washington. We pray that the preaching and teaching you hear on this podcast connects the truth of the Bible to your life, that you would learn more about the triune God who made you and what he made you for. And now, here's today's message. This is our eighth lesson in our series on parenting. And tonight we're going to be tackling the topic of equipping. It's something that's not explicitly covered in Shepherding a Child's Heart, uh, but it is something that's nevertheless a vital aspect of parenting. Uh, And so we have 12 lessons in our series as a whole. So the first four lessons were on the foundations for parenting. The mission of parenting is to shepherd a child's heart. The shaping of children influences on them and the orientation that comes out of them. Those two together is what produces the outcome, the authority of parents, and parenting goals. And then we had four lessons on methods for parenting. So the importance of discarding unbiblical methods and developing consistency. Uh, and then discovering communication. So that introductory lesson was sort of communication, also part one. So we want to get rid of unbiblical methods. We need consistency in everything that we do. Uh, And then communication and the rod, those are the two primary biblical methods um, for training up children. So we talked then about, uh, in lesson six, about types of communication uh, and the importance of developing a life of communication. And then the last time, two weeks ago, that we were uh, discussing parenting, we talked about correction and why the rod is necessary. Now, the, having discussed communication and correction, it's time now to turn to intentional equipping, or what we might call formation. And we've touched on some of these themes in our discussion of communication, but they're important enough and they're forgotten often enough to merit additional attention. And this is one of those areas, I mentioned uh, that there would be some things we would add in from other books or uh, from some of the thinking that I've done on the topic. And this is that night that I'm sort of putting a lot of those things together uh, because I think this is one of the weaknesses in shepherding a child's heart that there's not enough attention given to the importance of equipping and of helping our children head towards excellence. Um, And so we'll be talking about that tonight. Now, the goal of our parenting is to prepare our children for the day of judgment and to equip them for the day of rewards. We've set that as sort of, we want, on the one hand, we want to prepare our children for the day of judgment, so we want to teach them the fear of the Lord, so that they grow up in the fear of the Lord, and that they know who Jesus is, and they know that they're sinners, and they they know what the gospel is. So that's the one side of parenting, Uh, and I think shepherding a child's heart covers that very well. Uh, The other side of parenting is we want to equip them for the day of reward. So we're not just trying to protect our children from God's judgment, we're trying to equip them for his favor, that they do things for his kingdom, that they make a difference in the world in which God has placed them. Uh, and I think that is certainly you know, not contrary to what shepherding a child's heart would teach, um, and it's, it's present there, but it's not emphasized as much as it perhaps ought to be. Uh, and so we're not just training our children not to be cast out. We need to equip them to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if they're going to hear that, uh, we don't just want them to avoid God's judgment. We want to equip them with what they need to labor for God's glory, to raise them in the fear of the Lord so that they may live lives of fruitfulness for the Lord. In all of this, we need to remember that our goal is not just to raise up well-behaved children. Our goal is to train up effective adults. So our goal isn't just to have children that are nice, well-behaved children that everyone admires. Our goal is to raise up adults who have what it takes to make a difference in the world. 
And if we're going to do that, then we need to give considerable attention to equipping. Uh, Wilson puts it this way, one of the ways that fathers provoke their children to wrath is by not equipping them. They're not equipped to work hard, to do higher levels of math, to hold down a job, to respond well to authority. Uh, but by the time that that happens, by the time they leave the house, then they often realize that the train left the station and it's too late. They had an opportunity to be equipped. Their parents didn't take that opportunity. And now they've got to play catch up for years or even for decades, as it may be. That's not all in the quote that's adding at the end. They're not equipped. The point of equipping is not just to raise up children who meet a certain minimal standard. Okay, my children have X, Y, and Z. I've equipped them. I've done my job. That's not good enough. When you're investing, you want to get the highest return that under the circumstances you can ethically obtain. So you don't just want to say, well, I didn't lose money. Well, that's good. We don't want to lose money. Sometimes you do lose money when you invest. But the goal of investing is what is the best return on the investment that I can get under the circumstances and without doing something that is crooked. And the same is true of our children. The goal isn't simply to do just enough so they can't say, oh, you can't tell me that I didn't equip you because I did just enough to get to skate over that bare minimum line so you can't say that I failed as a parent. That should not be our attitude. The goal is to equip them with excellence to do the best job that we possibly can do. So before we dive into the details of what it might look like to equip our children with excellence and different areas in which we should pursue excellence and equipping, Let's spend a few minutes talking about the importance of this matter of excellence and why the idea of raising our children with excellence is a biblical concept. So let's begin with 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, as many translations render this word. We'll talk about what it means in a second. Uh, it's the Greek word arete, uh, and many would render it as excellence. So glory and excellence, or glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust." And besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, also the same word that's translated as excellence, potentially above, um, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this virtue thing towards which we have been called by the Lord? Well, it applies to having good moral character, but it's a broader concept than that. It's a very general word. As the Oxford English Dictionary uh, explained regarding the use of this word in Older English, uh, defined virtue this way, superiority or excellence in a particular sphere, ability, merit, distinction, or proficiency. A Greek lexicon talking about the underlying Greek word that's translated as virtue or as excellence in some translations uh, defines the Greek word this way, goodness, excellence of any kind. And the idea here is that God is excellence. God is the source of excellence, of distinction, of ability, and God calls us to excellence 
as well. That's what it means when he's called us to virtue. We're to uh, begin with faith and we're to move on to excellent development of character and ability in every area of life that God wants us to reflect his glory. And the truth is that God is not the sort of God who just skates by and said, ha ha, you can't give me a failing grade. I did just enough to pass. That's not the sort of God that we serve. That's not the sort of God whose character we are called to reflect. God is excellent. God is full of every virtue. And because God is excellent, God is virtuous. He has called us to virtue and excellence. And therefore, he has called us to develop, as we're called to raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, he's called us to develop virtue, to develop excellence in our children. I'll give you another biblical example of this pattern. The parable of the talents. Here's the point. God has not just called us to avoid certain sins. He's called us to glorify him by pursuing every form of excellence. And this is what the parable of the talents is all about. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Pardon me. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, and he basically made excuses for hiding his one talent in the dirt. And so the Lord took the one talent from him and gave it to the one who had five talents and the servant who was unprofitable was cast out. Now, there are many ways that this parable applies, and there's, there's many things that, that uh, it teaches us. But there are truths here for the task of parenting, if we take it and we put our thinking caps on and we think about some of the implications here. Because our children are responsible for what they do with what we give them. We're responsible as individuals for what we do with the talents, whether that would be financial or abilities or resources, whatever that would be, whatever it is that God entrusts with us, we're responsible for what we do with it. And yet, as parents, we're responsible for what we provide to our children. As always, God uses means. So people are responsible, if we think about the gospel, people are responsible for rejecting the light that has been given to them. So if they know of the moral law, they know what is right and they do what is wrong, they are responsible before God. And yet, if we know the gospel and we fail to share that with someone, they're responsible for what they know, but we're responsible for what we did not provide to them, namely the good news of the gospel. God is sovereign over all things, but we're responsible for the means that we use or fail to use towards a given M. Our children are responsible for what they do with what we give them. And there are many children 
who are given every opportunity, and yet they decide to hide their talents in the dirt. All of us know young people like that who have been raised and provided with the opportunity to aim at excellence and yet have chosen to squander it. And we can't control that. But we can control and we are responsible for how we equip our children. And the truth is that the talents that our children have to work with as adults are not the result of genetics alone. They are also the result of the upbringing that we provide them and the equipping that we give them. So let me give you a few examples that would help make clear what it is I'm trying to say here. So if your son is 5'4 and all thumbs, then he isn't going to be a basketball star. Or it's very unlikely that being a basketball star is on the cards for him. Someone told me of one short guy who was really good. But if he's clumsy and short, then he's not going to be a basketball star. But on the other hand, it doesn't matter how athletic you are. If you never touch a basketball till you're 25, you also are not going to be a basketball star, right? So there's the genetics, like, you know, I have very bad genetics for uh, playing basketball. I'm not 5'4", but I'm not very tall, I'm very clumsy, and I can't jump. So I am not ever going to play basketball. But it wouldn't matter how athletic I was, if I'd never been given the opportunity to play basketball, then I would never achieve excellence in the game of basketball because I would not have been equipped for that. Music is similarly. Some are born tone deaf, or at least with a very, they have a very difficult time Everyone can learn something about music, but some really just don't have the aptitude for musical ability. But it doesn't matter how much musical aptitude you have, if you never touch a piano till you're 25, you're not going to become, or you're very unlikely to become, a concert pianist, or you will not become the concert pianist you could have been had you had piano lessons when you were a young person. The examples could be multiplied, but the point is the same. The amount of talents or abilities or inner resources that our children have to invest for God's glory as adults are determined not only by the DNA that we provide for them at their conception, but also by the nurture we provide for them throughout the course of their upbringing. And if we're going to be faithful stewards, then it isn't enough to give our children good intentions. That's really the point that I'm trying to get at tonight, is that it's not enough to train up our children to have the right intentions. We actually need to provide them with something to work with as adults. We need to equip them for excellence. We need to provide them formation. We should not cripple them and bid them run the race of life well. We should not starve the saplings that command the grown-up trees to bear abundant fruit, allusion to the abolition of man intended. Now, in all this talk of excellence, there is, of course, a danger. On the one hand, we don't want our children to become arrogant snobs who despise anyone that they deem to be beneath them. That's not the point. But on the other hand, we need to remember that the good Samaritan who cared for the man who was lying by the side of the road He needed some resources to do that. So let's think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Here he comes by the side of the road, so the priest turns aside, lifts up his nose. The Levite turns up his nose. But here comes the Samaritan, and he takes care of the man. But the Samaritan has a donkey. And the Samaritan has oil, and he has wine, and he knows what to do with it. And he has some coins. I'm not sure if he has a donkey. That's how I picture it, but I didn't double-check the text, so I'm not sure. But I know that he has a coin to pay the innkeeper with. He has oil and wine, which was medical treatment of the day, and he knows what to do with that. 
So he has some resources and he has some skills that he's able to use to care for this person in the side of the ditch. So he's not sticking up his nose and despising those who are beneath him. But in order to actually help, he needs something to help with. And that's our job as parents is to give our children tools so that they can go forth and be a blessing. A third way of looking at this would be to consider the language of arrows in the scripture. Psalm 127 says this, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Well, what are arrows like in the hands of a mighty man? Psalm 45.5 tells us that. Thine arrows are sharp in the hand of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee, under thee. Our goal must never be to simply keep our children safe from the world. Our goal is to do them best to make them dangerous to the king's enemies. Dull arrows will not pierce the heart of the king's enemies. They'll only antagonize them without stopping them. As Rachel Jankovic reminds us, we should expect a lot of our children, but never more than we expect of ourselves. You can't raise excellent children if you're content to be mediocre as a parent or as an adult in your own line of work. You should never push them harder than you push yourself. But you should push yourself, and you should push them, and you should strive to raise children that are as excellent in as many areas as you are able to achieve. You should give them the talents, as many talents, as you are able to provide for them. And you should make them as sharp as arrows as you possibly can. So having considered the importance of forming our children in excellence, of giving them talents to invest for God's glory, of sharpening them as arrows for the battle, it's time to consider some of the specific areas in which we should strive to form our children in the ways of excellence. And this list could be made much longer. And of course, not all of these things are of equal importance or will be given equal intention in the remainder of our time tonight. But there are seven areas of excellence that I think all of us as parents should give regular attention to developing in our children. Uh, Excellence in character, in piety, in skills, in discernment, in education, in stamina, and in taste. Now, this is a suggestive list rather than a comprehensive one, and I am not going to try to have a whole list of Bible verses for each of these areas. This is more, we're supposed to raise our children with excellence, we're supposed to equip them. I think the scriptures teach that clearly. So these are some ideas from the reading I've done, from uh, the growing that I've done in my own life and what I've seen in others and also with our children that I think will be helpful and we can talk through it. And this is teaching and not preaching. If you disagree with one of these things, that's fine. Uh, We can have a discussion about it. But I'm not saying for each of these things, thus says the Lord, this is more... This is one of the ways it could look like to raise your children with excellence. So I want to qualify that in that way, but I think this will be a helpful discussion. Now, before we move on to the specific details, are there any questions that anyone has? Um, I see Brittany has her hand up uh, before we move on. So I just was wondering if you have any wisdom on working in the tension between playing to a child's strengths or talents, but also wanting them to be a well-rounded Christian, like, well-rounded adult. Like, and, like what I'm thinking of, like, so that's somebody, so, yeah. somebody so, might, like, a child might be very mechanically inclined, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so you can play into that, and they, you know, they might be an engineer or a mechanic or electrician or whatever, 
But even if they're not, they should be able to, like, if the power goes, if a, a fuse is blown in your house, they should be able to go figure out how to take care of that. If they, they need to be able to replace windshield wipers on their car, those basic things, cooking, basically survival yeah, so, so, things. So that's, that's something I'm going to come back to. So, so, okay. so keep that question. If, I haven't, if, you, if you don't feel it's answered by the time we get done, then we'll come back to it. Okay. That's, that's definitely a really good question, but that's kind of one of the things we're spending a lot of time talking about. So, so it's, it's uh, something I've got here, and we'll, we'll be thinking about that. Anyone else? Okay. So let's start with character. Character is more than obedience. So as parents, especially parents with young children, we're very concerned, and rightly so, that we teach our children to obey. But bringing your children up to have excellent character is more than having children who don't cause trouble. Because character isn't a negative thing, it's a positive thing. Our goal isn't just to train our children to not be an inconvenience to us, that's far too small a thing to aim at, but as parents, all of us have fallen at various times into the rut of being satisfied with, as long as my children will just go to bed and stay in bed, I would be happy. As long as they would stop breaking things, I would be happy. As long as they would stop being rebellious and, 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 uh, and, and questioning my authority, I would be happy. As long as they would stop whatever it would be that happens to be the irritant of the moment, we can be tempted to fall into the rut of saying, if they would just stop X, then I would be happy. But as parents, if we're going to raise children who have excellent character, stopping X does not prove that they have excellent character. It doesn't, it's not uh, what is going to give, the, it, it's not enough. Character or virtue is the ability to do the right thing at the right time and in the right way. And it requires more than good intentions. It requires active formation and equipping and nurturing and shaping. And while we don't have time, all of these are going to be sort of suggestive rather than comprehensive, we don't have time to develop a comprehensive overview of all the character traits that would be important. Let me give you a few examples of some uh, character attributes that we should be striving to bring our children up in. We should be trying to raise our children to be courageous. Courageous courage is the ability to persevere in doing what is right, even when it threatens to cost you greatly. And so we need to create situations, and of course you can go overboard in all of these areas, but there should be some times where our children have something that they're afraid of doing, that they fear is going to result in something bad happening to them, and yet we tell them this is the right thing to do, and therefore, you are going to do it, and you are going to develop your courage muscle. Yes, we should protect our children, but if they leave our home without ever having encountered real risk of real harm, or at least feeling that what they're doing is risky, then we have failed to prepare them for life, because the fact is that life is risky. If you're going to be an adult, and you're a young man, and you're going to propose to a young woman, that's going to take some courage. It's going to take some risk to talk to her dad, to say, hey, I like you. Do you like me? Get lost. That hurts. And you know what? When you go and you talk to a young woman, chances are you're going to get a few get lost before you get a, yes, I think this is a good idea. And if your children have no courage, then they'll be like the vast majority of young people today who simply are not getting married. And one of the reasons they're not getting married 
is because they don't have the guts to make a risky decision. So, as parents, we should be striving to raise our children up, to have the intestinal fortitude to do things that they're afraid of. So if I'm afraid, now, obviously, we have to be wise. We don't want our children doing recklessly, reckless things, right? So there's a balance here. Like, your four-year-old should not be doing anything that's going to result in bodily harm. But if your 18-year-old has never truly been afraid and done what they ought to do anyways, there's a character deficit there. It's your job to push them to do what they ought to do when they are afraid of the consequences of doing that, and to think of ways to train them in that way without actually, you know, you know if your four-year-old is like, you know, going and fighting lions, or your 10-year-old, or your 17-year-old, or whatever, then that's not good parenting either. So this is the wisdom of parenting, that we want them to do things that are going to teach them courage without actually dying of foolhardiness uh, before they exit our homes. We do want them to survive childhood, uh, but we want them to come out of childhood with some courage developed. Diligence is another one. Able to keep laboring when they feel like doing something else. We should teach our children how to work. And this is one of the most lacked virtues in our society. And one of the things we have to work the hardest at. And the reason is, it is one of the hardest things to learn as an adult. Here's the thing. Jesus is beautiful. And you can fall in love with Jesus at any age. But work is hard. And if you don't teach your kids how to work the chances of them learning to love to work as an adult are very slim. I've met many people who had a radical change in their affections for Jesus. I've met very few people who've had a radical reorientation towards the value of work in adulthood. Um, And so teaching our children to work, to work when the work seems pointless and they don't understand why they need to work. Now, this can be taken too far, but your boys, especially, and your daughters are going to have to work when they don't feel like working. Guess what? Moms have to work when they had rather be doing something else, when they don't feel like they're up to it. And there are emergencies. Now, if you never take a break, this is probably more my temptation. Um, So if you just work no matter what, and you never take a break and you never rest, that's not wise either. But there are times when the situation demands that you gotta be, you got to put your big boy pants on and you've got to push through and you've got to work when you really would rather be in bed. There are emergencies. And if your children never learn that, they're not going to magically get it when they turn 18. There will be times when they say, I can't, I don't feel like it. I want to lay down. And there's times when we let them lay down. But there's other times when they need to be pushed and said, no, you can keep working. You can hold it. You don't have to go to the bathroom every five minutes while we're doing this job. You can wait 20 minutes and finish the job first. This is, this is little ways of teaching them to actually pursue diligence when they don't feel like working. And uh, teach them to work by Mary Beeky. I think we have it in the bookstore. Um, uh, if, if not, we'll get it in there. It's a really helpful book. It's not this you know, sparkling literary work of literary greatness, but it's a book of practical suggestions on how to teach your children how to work. Patience. The ability to persevere in the face of provocation. Sometimes the right response is to courageously confront a challenge, but at other times they need to persevere and put up with things that frustrate them. So that means sometimes they're going to have problems that you could fix for them and you don't fix for them because they need to grow and their ability to put up with stuff that they find deeply unpleasant 
and to keep doing what they're supposed to be doing in the face of frustrating challenges. Self-restraint, the ability to know that something is good and yet to partake moderately of it. Humble, neither puffed up with a sense, false sense of importance nor a false sense of self-pity. There are two ways to fail to be humble. One is to think that you're all that in a bag of chips and ain't nobody has anything on you. So we recognize that obvious lack of humility. But another lack of humility, because humility is, uh, uh, the the opposite of humility is self-centeredness. And so someone who's constantly bemoaning all that they don't have and all the bad things that have happened to them and is filled with self-pity is just as far off from being truly humble as someone who's an outrageous braggart. So we need to teach them genuine humility. Now, there are many more character traits that our children need, but the point that I'm getting at is each of these things, it's not just enough to have obedient children. That's the foundation. That's what, that's like, obedience is like the swearing in at boot camp. But the point of boot camp is not just to swear you know, the inductees in so that now they're under the authority of the drill instructor and they're not in the brig. The point of boot camp isn't to stay out of the brig, though that'd probably be a good thing. You don't want to end up in the brig. That's bad, right? But the point of boot camp is to learn what you need to learn so you can function effectively as a soldier. And because of that, they put the people in boot camp through all kinds of dreadful things. And the point is not to, unless you know you, you do have abusive drill instructors, I'm sure, but the overall point is not to abuse them. That's not why we have boot camp, just to make life unpleasant. You have boot camp because war is hard and you want soldiers who are prepared to conduct themselves as soldiers and not run away and hide. Those of you who have been through boot camp, have I described that wrongly? Yes. Will you correct me? Boot camp is to break down what you've already learned and to build you up to be that person that can be depended on. So then the other kinds of training come after that? But so then if we, if, if we describe the whole process of military training, would that be right? Yes. Okay, good. So not just boot camp, but the whole point of military training. So all the different layers of military training, because um, we have our children for a long time. And the goal is to equip them for, um, for to be soldiers in the Lord's army. There are several ways we can help our children to grow in excellence and character. We can allow them to be genuinely challenged by life, creating challenges for them if need be. Don't fix everything for them. When they are 14, they shouldn't still be playing basketball with the kitty goal. It's okay for them to try and fail at things. In fact, if they never have anything that they try at that they don't succeed at, they're not going to grow in character because it's through realizing that we're not able to reach the goal that we develop the strength to eventually start reaching it. Obviously, we should model good character for them. And we don't have to let our children know every struggle that we have But they should know at least a little bit that they can see, hey, here's what I want to do and here's what I'm going to do because this is what is right. Um, And then we can provide them. And a key part of this, so part of this is the practical training, but another key part of this is the stories that we provide for them. And the temptation, like the temptation with our children is to say, well, as long as they're being obedient, then I've accomplished my goal. That's, that's a temptation with this. But another temptation is with the stories that we provide for them. Well, as long as I protect them from this, this, and this, then I've done my job. But the stories that we read or watch or listen to shape us on a really deep 
level. They shape our character. They shape the sort of person that we aspire to be. Children will watch a movie or they'll have a book read, read to them. And then what do they do? They want to find some bizarre outfit to dress up like the person that they heard about or watched. They want to be that guy or they want to be that girl. And so if we're trying to develop children who have excellent character, we need to really be thinking about that guy or that girl that they're reading about. And we should be concerned not just to filter out all the bad stuff. We should be concerned to filter out the bad stuff, but also make sure that they're getting some meat for their souls. They need more than milk. They need some genuine meat. As they're going to grow into robust maturity, they need stories that will strengthen their souls. As Andy Wilson loves to say, uh, stories are soul food. And if you want some guidance on picking solid stories for your children, that's a good podcast to be listening to. So excellence in character is the first one, one of the ones we spend a little bit more time on than some of the others. Uh, Any questions or uh, thoughts about that before we move on to our next one? I think I've answered all questions about raising our children with character. I just feel great. Or I've left you all so confused that you don't know where to start, which would feel less great. But in any, either case, we're going to move on to the next one. Excellence and piety. We won't spend a lot of time on this because this is something that we've touched on um, in a number of the lessons. We should also train them to be excellent in their piety. Now, piety, the word piety to someone being pious gets a bad rap. Uh, in our society today, but it's a word that we need to value and a word we need to recover. Piety, according to Calvin, can be defined as the development of the right attitude of the mind and soul to God. It's a sort of practical godliness, which, as Paul reminded Timothy, is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So we need to teach our children to have the right attitude of the mind and soul to God. Not just so they don't say bad things, but that they have the right hard attitude towards God. So we should teach our children how to pray. And we should teach them how to pray with excellence. We should give them insights. And that means that sometimes we shouldn't just say, well, they're praying, that's good. Sometimes we're going to have to give them some feedback and some guidance and saying, well, everything you're praying for is pretty self-centered. Does that reflect what we find in the Lord's Prayer? The model that Jesus has taught us to pray. Now, of course, if everything that they hear you pray for is self-centered, then you know how to fix the problem. You need to change your prayers, right? Uh, So you can't teach them what you don't model in your own life. But actually providing them guidance on how to read the scriptures, how to pray, how to sit in church, giving them opportunities to pray, teaching them practical godliness to look to God in all things. And again, this is the theme of this lesson as a whole, that it's not just looking and saying, hey, there's something wrong that needs to be corrected in your life, but saying, hey, There's a muscle in you that needs to be strengthened. The ability to be thankful when things are going wrong. Now, of course, if you're going to teach your children that, that means you need to develop in being thankful when things are going wrong. Being joyful when things are going wrong. Well, that's even a little bit harder. But that's the kind of striving that we want to raise our children, not just to not fail the test, but to be the sort, have the sort of uh, a pious attitude towards the world that people look at them and they say, whoa, they're living like God is actually real. Like, I can't account for that. They just had their whole life fall apart and they're singing a hymn in jail. 
That kind of pious attitude towards the world doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And the time in which it ought to take place is when your children are in your home that we are teaching them and we are showing them how to live as a light, how to have the right attitude towards God and to be wells of light springing up. Any questions on that one before we move on? So excellence in character, excellence in piety, excellent, sweetheart, It's not really a question, but I saw this week something that said, instead of preparing for the worst, prepare for worship. Mm. So, and that's a way in training kids, instead of just preparing them for worst case scenario in life, preparing them to just automatically worship whatever happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's exactly. And that, that's the kind of modeling that we, we do that by worshiping in, you know, the little frustrations and the little frustrations and the little frustrations. And it's, it's that positive. I think that's so, that encapsulates uh, so good what, what I'm trying to talk about in that point, that we're preparing them to worship God no matter what, because that's what's in their soul. Any other thoughts on that one? Doesn't have to be a question, but any, any thoughts or anything? Okay. Number next, excellence in skills or life skills. We should teach our children excellence in practical life skills. And Brittany, this one gets a little bit to your question. So as just one example, so there's some skills that all children need. We need to teach our children to sit still. So many parents coddle their children's weaknesses instead of training the weaknesses out of them. While our expectations should always be consistent with reality. So, you know, if you're asking a 15-month-old to sit still for two hours, that's not consistent with reality. The problem is not with them. The problem is with you. Um, so, like, there, there are limits to what we should expect of our children. But our children are, on the other hand, a lot more capable than we often realize. And our children can be trained to do things that other children don't do. Young children, even two- and three-year-olds, can sit through a church service, something that children have been doing for thousands of years without harm. Now, if children are going to sit through a church service, it's going to take some practical training. This is a skill. The ability to sit, skip, sit still is a life skill that children need to be taught. One of the ways you can teach them that is having something like, and this is, you know, there are lots of ways to do this, but one way um, that we've used with our children is something called blanket time, where they sit on a blanket and they have some toys on the blanket and they have to stay on the blanket and they're not allowed to leave the blanket without receiving some discipline, they know, hey, here is your area, you stay in your area, and you play quietly by yourself. That is not just an obedience thing. I don't want the children to disobey. That is actually an important life skill that could save their life. As Pascal said, the source of all of man's ills is his inability to sit in a chair by himself. There's a lot of truth to that. And one of our jobs as parents is to give our children the best shot at their ability to sit still in a chair by themselves, or to at least be able to do that. We should teach them, this isn't just about this lofty, the problems of mankind, but our children should know how to sweep a floor well, how to clean a mirror, how to cook a meal that people actually want to eat, or that they want to eat, because they may be eating their own cooking. And if all they have to eat is top ramen, then... Top ramen can be great, but that's not enough to live on. 
And to the degree that we're able, we should teach them how to shoot, how to drive, and such forth and so on, pass the skills that you have onto them. Work actively to give them opportunities to learn skills that you yourself didn't have the opportunity to learn. Now, they can't know everything, but they should have enough skills to have genuine agency in the world. For there to be situations, some situations, now, different children will be skilled differently and different parents will have different skills that they can pass on, but there should be at least some situations, if we're raising our children with excellence, then there should be some situations where others who have been raised with less than excellence feel overwhelmed and don't know what to do, And our children, because we've raised them with excellence, they have the agency to say, this is what needs to be done. And as it turns out, I know how to do it. Now, we should keep in mind that our children are very different. Some skills will come more naturally to some children than others. Some parents will have more gifting to teach in some areas than others. Some children will have to make uh, sacrifices uh, in one area in order to achieve genuine excellence in another area. And this is where wisdom comes in. So obviously, like... Generally speaking, we should want our children to have a balanced set of skills. That's generally true, yes. However, if someone is going to be, say, a concert pianist, um, there's going to be some, you can't achieve mastery of every area. No one is godlike. Now, some have more skills than others, and some achieve excellence in a number of areas. Some are more well-rounded. But if someone is going to be a world-renowned concert pianist, there's going to be a lot of other things that are going to have to fall by the wayside. And you're going to have to ask, is this goal, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a concert pianist, it could be something else entirely, whatever this goal is, is this goal where they're achieving extra excellence in this area, is it worth the corresponding cost in other areas of life? Or are they sacrificing everything to be really good at Fortnite? Really bad trade-off. That is not a good trade-off. It may seem like a good trade-off to them at the time, but it's actually, or whatever the new game is, I'm not really into video games. But um, are people still playing Fortnite? Yes, okay, good. So, I mean, it's not good that they still are, but good that I know a game that people are still playing, I suppose. Um, But anyways, so this is something that as parents, I think, and this goes back to the question that you asked, that we have to have wisdom Like, how gifted is the child really at this particular area? Is it worth it for them to let this go? And then make sure they let the right things go. So they should not let, um, you know, like there are some basic things that everyone should have the ability to do. You know, so not everyone has to be an excellent cook. But everyone should be able to heat up a can of soup, at least, without burning themselves or setting the place on fire. So if they can't do that, something is, is out of whack, right? And so having that wisdom to know that we want them to be the most skilled that they can be at life, whether that is really putting their chips into one basket that seems like a good basket for them to be putting their chips into and having you know, a little bit of variety or being more well-rounded, that's going to differ household to household, child to child. It's going to be a wisdom call, but our goal is to give them the best skill basket that we can based on their abilities, our abilities, and the circumstances and resources that we have. We should make it a matter of our active and regular attention, including our children in the tasks that you are doing and thinking of ways to remedy weaknesses that you might have. So there are a lot of weaknesses that I might have where there'd be skills that others would have that I wouldn't know how to do. And so one of the benefits, and and I've mentioned this before, of having a church community is we can say, hey, uh, brother so-and-so, you really have some skills in this area that I don't have. Could maybe, maybe I'm like, you know, level one on 
this skill, let's say uh, shooting or something like that, that maybe I have like level one shooting skills, uh, but Brother Bill has like level eight shooting skills, whatever the scale might happen to be. Um, And so maybe I'm going to ask, you know, rather than just teaching uh, my kids myself, I might say to Brother Bill, hey, Brother Bill, can you be involved in showing me things I don't know, which you've recently done? Uh, And also, can you be involved in maybe, maybe my children have a real aptitude for something that I don't have an aptitude for? And so maybe you can help them out. Or it could be something else. That's just a particular example. Or someone has really, you know, savvy baking skills. And you don't have baking skills, but you think, hey, it'd be really great if my daughters know how to bake. Or my sons know how to bake, for that matter. Uh, And so I'm going to get brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so to help uh, instruct them in, you know, baking or basket making or whatever it may happen to be that you determine is important. But the overall goal is that we're thinking it's our job to make sure they have the best skill basket so that they have talents with which to work to achieve excellence in their lives. That's the overall picture. Any questions or insights or thoughts on this topic? Before we move on. So, let's see. Excellence in character and piety and life skills. Excellence in discernment. We won't spend a lot of time on this. But we should teach our children to have excellence in discernment. Many very intelligent people are incredibly naive. So, to the best of our ability, and in the areas that we have some degree of know-how, we should teach them street smarts without teaching them to be cynical. So, you should teach your children to know that not everyone that they encounter is going to have their best interest at heart simply because they loudly proclaim that they do so. There are tricky people in the world, and there are practical skills that can be used good questions that can be asked to discern who is up to no good. And we should teach our children discernment so that they don't end up being played when they could have avoided it. So we don't want them to be cynical, but we should want them to be discerning. Education. We'll spend a little bit of time on this one. We should provide our children with an excellent education to the degree that we have the ability to do so. We must not be satisfied with meeting certain minimum requirements. We should give them the best education that we possibly can. And again, as with all of these, I'm about to give you what my views on education are, uh, and then you can uh, push back on that or think about it otherwise, as the case may be, but I think this is beneficial. Note that I'm not saying that we should give our children the most prestigious education that we can afford. The pursuit of prestige for the sake of prestige is simply another way of describing the pursuit of worldliness. And worldliness is something we should teach our children to avoid and not to pursue. So simply to get a fancy degree for the sake of getting a fancy degree because you want to impress other people in the world is very close to pursuing the pride of life. But while we should run from worldliness, we should at the same time pursue genuine excellence in education as in all other things. The goal of education is not to know certain things. It's not to have a certain set of facts at your disposal. It's to have a certain set of tools. Education is about the tools that you have, not the facts you have memorized. We should give our children the best tools that we can. And we should not think of education as something separate from character formation, as though education is cramming them with facts and character formation is teaching them how to use it. As Wilson puts it, one of the grand mistakes that parents often make is that of opposing academics to character issues. 
Learning to do the kind of work that children have learned to do and have had to learn to do for millennia is not opposed to character formation. It is character formation. And in our own household, I've seen this to be true, that the biggest character issues have come up in the context of teaching our children academic subjects. And it has been revealed that they don't want to work at times. Or they have cheated at times. And they don't want to be ethical and honest. And so we have to push them on that. And it reveals character issues And then we have to push them to work on those character issues in the course of their education. Here's the point I'm getting at. On the one hand, the government schools from preschool on up are actively propagandizing children to disbelieve not only the scriptures, but the most basic aspects of reality. It used to be that parents just needed to be concerned about evolution and what might be taught to teenagers in sex ed class. Now it is considered normal, not only in blue states like ours, but also in many so-called red states, to teach children that, as the widely used Black Lives Matter coloring book puts it, everybody has the right to choose their own gender by listening to their own heart and mind. Everyone gets to choose if they are a girl or a boy or both or neither or something else, and no one else gets to choose for them. Notice I said that's taken from a coloring book. Who uses coloring books in school? It's not teenagers. It's the elementary grade. It's very young children who are taught using coloring books. There are picture books that teach this to toddlers in preschool. Young children, in some cases even preschool children, are being taught to question their gender and they are being taught to hide their questions from their parents. You absolutely cannot trust government education no matter how many questions you ask because the teachers can't be trusted to tell you the truth about what's actually being taught and your children can't be expected to understand the ways they're being conditioned until they have already bought into them. So, that soapbox ended. We can't trust the government schools with our children. But simply saying, okay, I'm not going to do this isn't enough. Simply saying, I've taken my children out of the government schools, so now therefore... I I have accomplished the goal of education. That isn't enough. Simply because you have protected your children from being propagandized does not mean that you have provided them with an education, let alone provided them with an excellent education. Protection can be good, and education can be good, but protection and education are not the same thing. Because there's going to come a day when your children are going to have to go out into the world. And you can't just think about protecting your children. You need to think about what's going to happen to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. What kind of world are they going to live in? What tools are you providing for their protection? Because your children are going to become adults, and the world your grandchildren live in is going to be shaped by the world that your children create. So let's take a few practical examples. History not just to avoid teaching some practical falsehoods. So, you took your children out of public school, and they didn't get taught the 1619 Project. Great! But what do they know about the history of our country and the history of our world? The goal of teaching history isn't just to say, they weren't taught this. Well, what were they taught? And were they given a broad understanding of the world, including the messy bits of history? Because the truth is, there's going to come a point when they're going to encounter those messy bits. So what tools have they been given to navigate that well? Equipping them to respond to false claims, not by screaming and plugging their ears and saying, that's a false claim, I can't hear that, my parents said I'm not old enough. Well, that works when they're 13, maybe, when they're 8, 
Probably. But when they're 23, they can't say, I'm not old enough to know about that. They're going to have to deal with it. And they're going to have to deal with it with the tools that you provided them with. So you're giving them dull arrows or you're giving them a sharp sword. They're going to have to practice and they're probably going to get some bruises and have some questions and cut their pretty little fingers. But the goal is to produce a warrior who's able to hear challenges and stand. The goal of teaching science isn't just to avoid teaching them evolution. Great. But teach them to master the hard bits and to understand the actual evidence. The goal of teaching them literature isn't just to avoid teaching perversion. That's good. But also by exposing them to the history of literature to shape them to think and to see in ways that far exceed their own capabilities so that they don't feel threatened by the falsehoods, but that those who are purveying the falsehoods feel threatened by them. That's the goal. The goal isn't to say, I've shepherded you along the way and nothing has gotten to you. No, we want to raise great hearts who have a sword who when the enemy comes, they're like, whoa, I wasn't ready for this one. Right? That's the kind of children we want to raise. And that's what we need to be thinking of when it comes to education. Not just, the wolf didn't get you, kids. No, you want to make the wolf afraid to come at them. That's what we're trying to aim for. We could go through the rest of uh, the subjects in school, but I think you get the idea. It isn't enough to focus on what we're protecting our children from. Protection is great, but protection and education are not the same thing. We also need to think about what we're equipping them for. And we need to seek to equip them. Not all children will be equally academically gifted, just like not will all be equally good at various skills. The goal isn't to produce cookie-cutter children that, okay, all these children have read all the same books. Well, who's going to fix their cars? Well, all these children know how to fix cars. Well, who's going to teach school to the next generation? Who's going to write the next level of textbooks? Well, all these children know how to cook. Well, who's going to sew, right? So the idea isn't that we have this thing in mind that all children have to do this. We just want all our children to have read the city of God by the time they graduate high school. Well, that's not a bad thing, but, you know, who's going to be writing poetry or whatever. Like, like the goal is, is, is not to think in terms of all skills have to be embodied in this one child, but what is the most excellent version of this child given the resources that I have and the resources that we have that I can raise with the expectation that if we help them get beyond where we're at and they love the faith and they stay in the faith, that our grandchildren are going to get a better set of skills and education that our children got. And if we can keep that going within a few generations, something really, really beautiful can be built. So whether at home or in a co-op or at a trustworthy Christian school, emphasis on trustworthy, just because a school says it's Christian doesn't mean it's all that different or better than a public school. But at the same time, I think there is a place for genuinely Christian schools. I don't think homeschool is the only option. The goal is to provide our children with an excellent education, and the biblical truth is that you're responsible for the education your children receive, and the means that you use to do that. I think we have some Christian liberty, but the goal is what is the best education that we can provide for our children under our oversight, because we're responsible for that education uh, for the next generation. The most excellent education we can manage under the circumstances in which God has placed us and with the resources God has given us and the abilities that God has given them, the best solution for one child may not be the best solution 
for another child. There's a wide range of differences between children, even in the same family. They have different bents, different abilities. And so we need to think, what is the best I can do by this child? And what's the thing that we can do together to come and raise our children uh, with excellence in education? Any thoughts or questions on education? Gavin. So before you touched on education, you talked about discernment. Um, Do you have any practical ideas on like um, how to raise your children to have spiritual development or spiritual discernment um, to where they understand discernment without following all the rules they are raised with, but being able to grow up to one day make their own decisions and more of like the gray area, meat sacrificed idols type yeah. situations, if you know what I'm talking about. So, so I think the, 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 one of the things that's been really helpful to me um, is that uh, how many of you have read the conscience book for children? What's it called? The, what? The little... The, voice, the little voice in your head. So there's, there's the conscience book for adults. That's really good. Uh, but then uh, Nacelli and his co-author, whose name is escaping me, they wrote a board book for children. And in that board book, for, it's, not, it's a picture book. In that picture book, they talk about the difference between God's rules and house rules. And that's been really helpful in talking to our children that there's God's rules that aren't up for debate. This is the things that scripture says. But then in order to actually have a house, right, like, we have to say, like, you know, okay, you're either responsible in our home to make your bed or not make your bed. That's important, whatever. So, you know, you're responsible. God's rule is you obey your parents. So here are things that are in an area of Christian liberty um, that you may decide differently on. And some of those are things that are totally arbitrary, right? Do you leave your shoes on or take your shoes off? Well, we may have opinions on that, but there is nothing in the Bible that's going to even address that other than, you know, trying to honor and show charity to, to others, right, as that general principle. Um, there are other things like what music do we listen to, what movies do we watch, um, or even things like alcohol and tobacco um, that there are certainly scriptural guidelines, but there aren't hard and fast scriptural rules, and faithful Christians will come to differing perspectives. And so really just emphasizing, hey, these are our house rules, these are God's rules, we need to have discernment, and helping them see, like, just because there's some wiggle room doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. And that distinction between not everyone's going to do it exactly the same way and do whatever you want is, I think, where spiritual discernment comes in. That we can say, hey, okay, you know, some people are going to disagree on what to watch. We need to be really careful that's not heard as you can watch whatever you want and God doesn't care. So we're not quite sure how to apply it is different from saying all you know, all holds are off, wear whatever you want, watch whatever you want, drink whatever you want, in as much quantity as you, you know, we're not saying that. And I think that's really, that can be really helpful. Um, at least I've, I've seen that in my own life as being helpful in, in trying to wrestle through with issues and just really trying to emphasize that with our children that we try to distinguish as much as we can. We're all fa- failable and there'll, there'll be areas we'll probably have to adjust in different things as we, you know, move forward with the journey of parenting, but really trying to distinguish out of the gate. These are our these are our opinions that you're obligated to because you're our child, and this is what God says clearly. Um, so helping to navigate that. Uh, Brittany, you had your hand up next. So I guess I have one that's kind of one of my soap boxes that I just wanted to share. Uh, like you talked at the beginning about um, going to for like a higher education, going mm-hmm. for this degree and stuff, and 
um, just something that's been on like my heart, especially in the last maybe 10, 15 years. So I have a younger brother um, who's different than me in that um, he didn't go to four-year school. Um, and just seeing some of the ways that uh, mainly my dad uh, viewed it as far as like, oh, like me as going to a four-year school being better and all these things. And um, and just the lie that our generation, I would say, particularly mm-hmm. was fed as in you need to go to and get a four-year uh, education um, in order to be successful at life, regardless of like how much it costs you and money and all these things. Yeah. You have to, you need to do this in order to be successful. Um, and just seeing the damage that's caused just in general, but like in my like own family, um, wanting to, I guess, encourage not having that as a goal and like not communicate. It's hard because both of us have higher degrees to not communicate that. And like Andrew's job being an engineer, yeah, it's, it's hard to communicate that when you are that, but having the church family and being able to like demonstrate there are godly men who are providing for their families yep. who went to a two-year trade school or did an apprenticeship or whatever it is, and pointing that out as far as, like, they are taking care of their families, and that's what matters. It doesn't matter so much that they have this degree or they don't yeah. have this degree. And so I just wanted to, like... Yeah, and I think that's kind of... I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And that's what I was getting at with the idea of, like, prestige for the sake of prestige is deadly. So just, like, getting a, you know, spending $200,000 to get a checkbox is really dumb. Um, yeah. But it may be, like, there's a good thing of an excellence in education, but that can take many forms. So it could take the form of going to college, um, but going to college for the sake of saying I went to college isn't maybe wise. Like, yeah, I just wanted like, to, like, the fact that we have the body that yes, is so exactly. diverse, it's like, you know... Not everybody can be an arm. Not everybody can be an eye. Exactly. Yeah. Not everybody can be a brain. And that there are people that are more inclined to one or the other. And like using the body, not only like what you were talking about earlier, is like, oh, I'm, you know, only level one in this skill. So I'm going to have my child go to somebody else to learn level five. Yeah. But highlighting the fact that they are successful at what God's calling them to be if they're married yep. and have kids. And I, I think that's the, I think the big, the big picture is just striving to aim at excellence and to aim at the excellence that's most appropriate for that particular child. And so that we see what are the ways that God has gifted them and we further that, but we also see what are the areas they're weak and we try to strengthen that. Brother Rick, you had your hand up. I really, you know, felt what he's saying about, well, how do you teach discernment and stuff like that? And some of this worked for me is that um, just reading the Bible over Mm -hmm. and over and over and over again, cover to cover, and especially like the Proverbs. And you you read about the stories of Joseph when he was mistreated, how he acted, versus Jonah when he was given a commission, how he ran from that commission, how he didn't want them to... They, they don't deserve, you know, salvation and yeah. stuff like that. If you so we certainly, Bible, we can, yeah, we can learn a lot of wisdom and discernment from the scriptures. Man. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've got two more. Excellence, we've got one short one and one a little bit longer one. So excellence and stamina. So I'm not quite sure the best word to use 
for this, but our children should know, we talked about this with work, but this is maybe a separate issue too. They should know how to push themselves. Children need physical endurance. So they should be taught to do hard things, to carry things they don't think they can. Now, don't tell them to carry something they actually can't carry without injuring themselves. That's just bad parenting. But there should be things where you know, hey, they can do this. They don't think they can do it. So make them do it. That they can work when they're hungry or tired. They can keep running when they want to stop. So teach them to say can when every cell in their body is screaming can't. Now, a lot of parents will use sports or something like that to help inculcate some of these things. If you're not a sports person or your family isn't a sports family, then you'll have to think of maybe some other ways to train these things. But we should be looking for ways to actively, especially our boys, girls need grit too, but especially our boys should not be soft. They should be men who know how to do hard things. They need toughness because, again, think of your grandchildren. You're not always going to be there to rescue them. There's going to come a day when you're too weak to grab anything out of a burning building, and it's your son who's all that's standing between your grandchildren and death. Will he have the grit to rescue them or not? A lot of that is going to depend on whether or not you are willing to push him when he was small. Excellence in taste. This last one is perhaps the hardest to grasp, and it's no, but yet it's no less important than the others. So our goal should be not just to get our children to do what they ought to do. We should strive as much as we can to get them to want what they ought to want. We should strive to train their taste buds. When we're training our children to eat, we don't just want them to force vegetables down. These vegetables are so disgusting, but I'm going to eat them anyways. That's not what our goal should be. Our goal should get them to actively prefer well-prepared vegetables to junk food. Without going into a lengthy philosophical discussion, we need to realize that beauty and goodness are as objective as truth. So as Christians, we generally, most of the time, we recognize the lie that says, you have your truth and I have my truth, and it's all relative, it's all a matter of opinion. We stand on the objective truth of the word of God, so we get that. But often, Christians, the same Christians, fail to see the same lie when it reduces what is beautiful and good to a matter of mere preference. If we want to insist that truth can't be reduced to preference, then we also have to insist insist that beauty and goodness can't be reduced to mere preference either uh, because truth, goodness, and beauty, they're called the three transcendentals, are different ways of referring to the same reality. What is true is beautiful, what is beautiful is true, and what is good is true and beautiful. The three go together. Just as we must teach our children to prefer truth to falsehood, so also we must teach them to prefer what is truly good to what is really bad and what is really beautiful to what is actually ugly, even if they're attracted to something that is ugly. We need to train their palates to appreciate food that is truly and objectively good. We need to train their eyes to prefer what is truly and objectively beautiful to what is merely attractive and train their ears to love music that is actually excellent. Now, I need to be clear here. Appreciation, having the right taste, is different from liking or even enjoying something. Lewis did a wonderful job of explaining the difference in his book, The Abolition of Man. He said this, which is strange uh, for someone who wrote some of the best-selling children's books of all time, uh, though actually he came in counter with children later on, but he said this, and I think this is really good. I myself do not enjoy the company of small children. 
But I recognize this as a defect in myself, just as a man may have to recognize that he's tone deaf or colorblind. What's he saying? He ought to enjoy the society of small children because the society of small children is truly enjoyable. The other example he gives that I don't have in my quote here is that old men are venerable. They actually are objectively venerable to the extent that they are, you know, have a good character. Whether or not we feel that way towards them, that is objectively the truth about what it means to be an old man and what it means to be a small child. And so there's an objectivity to what is actually beautiful, what is actually good, that we need to recognize even if our emotions don't match that in a given moment. Here's the point that I'm getting at. Our taste buds need to be trained. And we need to train the taste buds of our children. We see this most clearly with food. Junk food is objectively junk. It is not merely a matter of preference that a spinach salad is healthier than a Whopper meal at Burger King. That's not an opinion. It's objectively true. It's also objectively true that a well-prepared spinach salad actually tastes better than junk food. It's not a matter of mere preference. Vegetables and meat and rice and bread, fresh-baked bread, is better than junk food, and that's objectively true, whether or not it tastes better to us. And this same principle is true with art and literature and music and all the rest. Palates have to be trained. We do not automatically appreciate what is truly good. We, do not autom- we are not automatically attracted to what is truly beautiful, but there is a genuine difference between what is truly beautiful and what is not. And the taste of our children need to be trained in the ways of excellence, and it's our job to train them. The reason many young people end up leaving the faith isn't because they don't have good arguments at their disposal, but because they haven't uh, been taught to discriminate between what is beautiful and what is ugly even if it appears attractive. Because the truth about us as human beings is that logical arguments follow our affections, not the other way around. First, we love, then we come up with arguments to justify our loves. And there are thousands of Christian teenagers who are chock full of apologetic arguments. I'm not opposed to apologetic arguments, they're good. But they have a quiver full of apologetic arguments and they step onto campus and they forget all of them. And the reason isn't because they were confronted by this argument that blew them away, but they were confronted with a love that drew them in, and they justified it after the fact. It's far better to raise children that have a hundred serious questions left and a deep appreciation for the true beauty of Christianity than a false sense of logical certainty about everything and a disordered sense of beauty. First comes love, then comes logic, and then comes action in the baby carriage. And our loves are driven by what we find beautiful. And if you don't have a sense of what is truly beautiful and an ability to discriminate between what appears attractive to you in the heat of the moment and what is actually beautiful and good, then all the arguments that you have in your mind are going to melt away, and you'll be helpless, and you'll go along with whatever it is that you want to do. Now, as always, we need to be balanced. The goal is not to train our children to be selfish snobs who are satisfied with nothing but the best of the best all day, every day. That's not the point. There's nothing wrong with a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
It's a good gift from God that should be received with gratitude and eaten with joy. There is something wrong with an adult who, given the choice of picking between a lovingly prepared feast and a bowl of top ramen says, ah, the top ramen is better. It has MSG in it. It, I like that. That's what I like. It's not just dumb. It's actually bad for your soul to prefer what is genuinely worse to what is genuinely better. And this same principle applies to art, film, books, clothes, and every area of life. The goal isn't to raise snobs. It's we're not trying to teach them to demand only the best of the best all the time. If you follow Jesus, you're probably not going to live a luxurious lifestyle. And in any case, what is portrayed as luxurious in our culture, if you notice how often high fashion is actually ugly, and the only reason people are attracted to it is because of how much money it costs, like, our culture doesn't know what is beautiful. What is beautiful is often very simple. It's not about you need to teach your children to like the high life and only the most expensive of everything. That is not what I'm talking about. But the ability to discern what is really beautiful and not just say, well, whatever you like, that's what's beautiful to you. Beauty is not in the eyes of the beholder. To say, like, and you can go back philosophically and you can talk about how this change has taken place in our culture. First, beauty was in the eye of the beholder and then truth was in the opinion of the one who held it. If you give up on the objectivity of beauty, you are giving up on the objectivity of truth because the two go together. And that can be demonstrated historically, philosophically, and indeed we could see that in the scriptures as well. We're trying to teach them the discernment to be able to tell the difference between what is genuinely good and beautiful and what is nothing more than monosodium glutamate for the eyes or the ears. So in conclusion, we should raise our children, we should equip them with the most amount of excellence that we possibly can. Excellence in character, piety, skills, discernment, education, stamina, taste, and I'm certain other areas as well. And we won't always have the same opinions about exactly what excellence looks like in this or that area, and that's fine. And children are different, and they'll each have a different, uh, a, a different cocktail, as it were, of excellence, of skills, of abilities. They'll be stronger in one area, weaker in another area. That's fine. That's as it should be. But our goal should be, what are the resources and abilities that God has given me? What are the opportunities I have? What are the aptitudes they have? And what is the most amount of talents, what's the best way I can equip them for faithfulness? Not how can I check off this box so I can get back to living my life, but how can I equip them to glorify God? One question, anyone, is there anyone who hasn't spoken? Oh, is there, uh, Brother Bill? Uh, we're talking about stamina. Uh, stamina is more than just physical stamina. You also yep. have mental stamina. Absolutely. Because problem-solving skills comes with the mental stamina. Yep. Sweetheart? In the fall, I read a book, M is for Mama, that I think we have in the bookstore now, but her whole premise is a rebellion against mediocrity, and it really changed my perspective on stuff, and it, I just see how there's a really big temptation to compare ourselves with the world around us, and we feel justified in being mediocre, and our standard kind of becomes like, oh, we're doing it better than the world, or we're doing it better than you know, people we see online, 
But like you said, it starts in us as parents. And if I was just thinking, as you were saying, excellence and all these things, if we're content being mediocre or good enough ourselves, but then you say, like, oh, I'm just raising kids with, like, mediocre character or good enough piety or mediocre education, it kind of hits home that if we don't expect all this stuff in ourselves and are still learning and growing and pushing ourselves that we will end up being mediocre parents with mediocre children. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I think the balance is, uh, the balance is between, at the one hand, aiming at excellence and also recognizing that we will never overcome the limitation of being human. And so, like, you can't be uber excellent at everything because you're not God. But you can push yourself, and you probably can do more than you think you can. Um, and that, that, is, that is really helpful. Anyone else? Brother Ron. Being kind of close to resilient. Yeah, exactly. I think stamina is the ability to keep going, and resilience is the ability not to be taken down. So there's sort of the two sides of the same coin maybe in usage, but it's a very similar kind of concept. So I guess stamina would be the ability to keep punching and resilience with the ability to take punches and not have a glass jaw. So you could put it that way. Thank you for listening to this message. If you would like to learn more about the Westside Baptist Church, please visit our website, www.bibledirectionforlife.com. Subscribe to the podcast if you would like to hear new sermons and lessons each week. And remember that a sermon podcast is no substitute for opening up a Bible and reading it for yourself.